the first reading is 1 Corinthians 1, verses 10 to 18, and it can be found on page 1144. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 to 18. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's house have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus, but that I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The second reading is taken from Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 25, and can be found on page 968 of the Church Bibles. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets when Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and illness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those who suffered severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Father, speak to us in our understanding 
that we may learn your ways, that we may shape our lives, our lives according to your will, and that in us and through us, your name may be praised and glorified. For Jesus' sake, amen. You may find it helpful to have uh, the scripture open with you today uh, because it does get a, bit, uh, a little bit technical, but also because Matthew quotes one of the Old Testament prophets. Uh, and as I said a couple of weeks ago, when Matthew quotes uh, one of the Old Testament prophets, he's not just saying, ah, oh, here's a happy coincidence, they said it then and Jesus did it now kind of thing. Uh, he's actually telling us something important about the story that he is relating to us. He's, he's shining a light on the story that we may see deeper into it. And you can see there, his quote is from Isaiah chapter 9, uh, in, and it comes there in verse 15 uh, through to 16. Now, uh, the text, the story he's telling us is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now, I've got a blinky blonker somewhere. There we are. Under the chair. Under the chair. There we are. And what you need at the beginning of something, of course, if you're going to, uh, to make it a success, is something of a plan. What, uh, what, are we, what, what are we trying to do? You know, where are we going to do it? Who are we going to do it with? And why are we doing it? Those kind of questions. And that's exactly what this text from uh, Isaiah sheds light on as we read through the story. So let's begin to look firstly at the place. There we are. The place in northern Israel called Galilee. Uh, you'll know this, don't you, that, is, uh, that Egypt is down there uh, over the, on the left-hand side and above is Lebanon and then it goes off into Turkey and around the top. You, you've got that. And this is the kind of the end of the, the uh, Mediterranean Sea. And this is the northern part of Israel and there ringed in green around there is the area of Galilee. That there is the Sea of Galilee and running down through it is the River Jordan. So, here we are in the place. The baptism of Jesus uh, had brought Jesus to the wilderness where he had been tempted for a time. And then it would appear he was waiting, waiting for the time to begin his work. And verse 12 tells us when that time comes. After John heard, uh, Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, that's John the Baptist, of course, he withdrew, or maybe returned, to Galilee. So it was after John's uh, imprisonment and a time when God's purpose uh, for Jesus should begin. And, uh, of course, Jesus knew Galilee well. We know that because he had been brought up there, living in Nazareth, brought there from the escape from Egypt uh, after King Herod died and so on. And uh, this was where his whole family story had begun. And uh, now the time was to break <clears throat> with that family place, Nazareth, and go to a new place where his work would begin. And that was uh, leaving Nazareth, he went to Capernaum. There it is at the point of the arrow, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun 
and Naphtali, mentioned, of course, by uh, uh, your man Isaiah, who we shall see shortly. Zebulun and Naphtali, two of the great tribes of Israel, uh, their lands that were apportioned to them were now in this area called Galilee. And Jesus begins his work of the Messiah in Galilee for really good reasons. It was the most densely populated area of the Middle East in that time. Uh, it had there, uh, it was about 50 miles long, 25 miles wide, and it had uh, the freshwater lake of the river of the Galilee and the river Jordan flowing through it. Um, the Jordan is. Uh, 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 runs right the way down, as we know, down to the Dead Sea. And the Sea of Galilee is 14 miles wide and, and 7 miles long. Rich in fish and able to, to sustain 9 or 10 towns uh, along its edge, one of which was the Roman city of Capernaum, which is up there at the northern end of the lake. But the lake was not only an economic blessing, it was, able to, it was rich and fertile and able to support uh, at least 10 towns of the size of 15,000 inhabitants. That's 15,000 is the size of Great Baddow. So there are 10 kind of towns, larger than a village really, the size of Great Baddow in which we live. And Jesus places him there in the most densely populated and most important city uh, in the area, being the Roman city of Capernaum. But because it's densely populated, is not the only factor. Galilean history meant that people were open to Jesus' message. They were prepared for the new thing that was coming. Uh, it was known by, Jesus, uh, by the Jews of the south rather derogatorily. They were called a Galilee of the Gentiles, partly because it was surrounded by the heathen nations uh, and the Samaritans were underneath and then there were all those, uh, t the ten, the ten uh, tribe places on the, uh, on the other side of the lake and so on. And to the north, there were the, who were there at that time? Where the Assyrians and the Babylonians had come down from anyway, they were up north. And uh, the history was an influence. In fact, Galilee stood on one of the oldest uh, travel um, uh, routes, trade routes of the time. Uh, it was, uh, came down from the north uh, and went round down by uh, the Mediterranean on, on into Egypt. It was known as the Way of the Sea. It also meant that Galileans were fond of the new ideas that such a trade route brought. Uh, and, their, and their nature was being disposed to a new thing. Uh, to a self-respecting Jew down south, in Jerusalem, Galilean Jews thought that they were kind of religious fanatics, too closed in, not open to the new thing. But the Galilean Jews, well, a new idea to them could be quite exciting. And that's why Jesus begins his ministry in this place. Because if you're going to come with a new message, you need people prepared to listen to your new thing. It's a place that was prepared by geography and by history for this new thing. 
So Matthew quotes from Isaiah in verses 15 and 16. It's a most famous verse to us. We hear it every Christmas, don't we? The land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the way of the sea, along the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles. Four times identified in the one sentence so that there can be no mistake. And it's not just because Isaiah said it that Jesus goes there, no more than because Isaiah said it and it seemed to match up that Matthew used it. As if Jesus went to the place that the prophet spoke about so that something that wasn't really true would come true. That's not how it is. Jesus went there because he saw happening in his day what Isaiah had spoken about. In Isaiah's day, Galilee had been uh, uh, overrun by the Assyrian king Tiglath-Pileser. I think we should all call our first sons Tiglath-Pileser. He brought great darkness to the place by subjecting them to slavery, exile and death. He ravaged them by oppression and uh, Galilee was humbled by that process. It was a broken place, a place that had lost identity and lost purpose and it was in need of hope. It was a dark time for them and they needed light. But God works through the most humble and the most lowly. So Isaiah said, the people living in darkness have seen the great light. The people living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And in Jesus' day, the people of Galilee, living in this darkness of their history, were the first to see the great light of the gospel dawn upon them. The light of the world was made manifest in Galilee. And he made Galilee the center of his ministry. So what of the time that we are living in? The place that is at the center of our ministry, its history. Why is Medgate here? Its influences that are going on. Now, this church has, has focused on that from the very word go. From the first day of starting Meadgate Church here as a Sunday school for the children of the estate, we have sought to keep in touch with the life of the estate. We used the school next door as a place of worship. We built in, uh, over the road as our permanent place and built it into the parade of shops to become even more part of that community and now we have re-established ourselves here also. Keeping in step with the history of our community and the influences that we work with, those who are poor, those who are in need of family and social support, all going on in this place, keeping in step with the social influences. But there are dark places. And maybe one of those dark places in these couple, last couple of weeks is what is happening in being said amongst the people. 
about the, uh, the um, purchase of Hamptons. Uh, I should say, I'm grateful to Melvin for the prayers, but I should say it's not going to be a mosque. It's going to be a community sports and social centre. Any change of use requires planning application. And then there's a whole consultation to happen. They are purchasing it because it is a social centre through which they can operate what they do. And it provides a room there where 500 people can kneel down and pray at one time. Well, who would deny them a place to kneel down and pray? 500 of them. And I have to say, that very room is being hired by the Diocese of Chelmsford in March precisely for the reason of 500 people kneeling down and praying at a conference day that we are having there. So much of the stuff that is out there is not about we don't want a place of worship. It's we don't want the Muslims, whether it's because they are brown people or whether it's because they are afraid of their faith and religion. Who knows? But there are some horrible things being said and done on account of it. Something where I believe Christ's church needs to shed the light of Christ in our day, in our community, that people should be free. And so I do ask you to sign the letter. Well, if that's the place, then the people were also ready to hear his message. Uh, it's a time. Notice there in verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. This is, in the scripture, there are two times. There is something called Kairos time and something called Kronos time. Kronos time is that which you get from your watch, what time of day it is. Kairos time is the God-appointed time, the moment when the new thing happens. And this is a kairos time. From that time Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And Simon Peter and his brother Andrew and James and John, so captivated by Jesus, so attracted by what they heard and saw, took his invitation and they followed him. And it's a courageous and decisive step to take. It gives us the urgency of it in verse 20. At once they left their nets and followed him. And then going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, and Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boats. For a religious leader, perhaps a very difficult, even impossible thing to do, for a political leader, not an easy thing to do. Too much at stake. But for a fisherman, it was possible. Because they were free from the constraints of religious and political structures. And perhaps also the fishermen were particularly skilled to uh, be the disciples of Jesus. His promise to them is that they would make them fishes of men because they knew how to catch fish. 
They had those skills, perseverance, flexibility, patience, a variety of approaches, a sense of timing, sensitivity, so as not to frighten the fish away. All of these are essential if you're going to be a fisher of fish or even a fishing for the kingdom of God. People who follow Jesus are ready when he calls. They sit light to the things of this world that they may drop everything and follow. So for example, people who follow Jesus live debt free so that they are not bound to their work. Not having to repay debts but working because it's vocation, life-fulfilling. People who follow Jesus take seriously the call for a tenth of their income given to the Lord. They make prayer together a priority for the church. I was talking to our bishop yesterday who said to me, there's no such thing as secret prayer because the word secret comes from the Latin, oh, I can't remember what the Latin was, but he said it means to steal. And if we talk of private prayer, it means we are stealing it from other people. Personal, yes, but it can never be private because we are the body together. And taking prayer together seriously is something that the follower of Jesus does. Inviting people to hear the word preached the praises sung. See, the fishermen dropped their nets, left their boats, left everything that ensnared them and encumbered them and followed him. And they used their knowledge and their skills in the service of him. Multifarious gifts, not for ourselves, but for him. When we've got that sense of the call of Jesus, all for Jesus. Are we singing that today? We're not, we're not. Well, all for Jesus, you know, we sing it often enough. When we've got that sense, we know what our purpose in life is. And the purpose is simple. It's to say the words and to do the works of the kingdom. Verse 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every kind of sickness and disease amongst the people. There's his purpose, to make known the kingdom in word and in deed. And Jesus made these works uh, visible in the outworking of his words uh, verse 24 says, he brought the, uh, people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases and large crowds in Galilee and the Decapolis uh, in Jerusalem and Judea and the region across the Jordan followed him. Maybe the reason people in our day find it easy to reject the message of the church is that they don't see enough of the works of the kingdom of God. Maybe they've heard the words, or at least they think they've heard the words. People who say to you, call yourself a Christian, they think they've heard 
what being a Christian is really about. And they haven't got a clue. Because I always say, being a Christian, that's about being forgiven, not being better than anybody else. But they've never heard that message that it's about being forgiven. But in these days, living by experience, they want to see works, especially the young people. It wants to be an experience to them. They want to see and get their hands on it so that they can experience it. Because the works show the gospel good news lived out. The words and the works of the kingdom. That's our purpose. And the danger is that we divide the two. We can either concentrate our uh, efforts on the words, and so without the works, our words are empty. Or we concentrate our works on the works, and so the words of the kingdom uh, don't interpret what's going on. The ministry becomes just charity or social work. There's plenty of agencies who are doing that. Good work. But it's not kingdom because it's not interpreted. People who follow Jesus accompany their works with words. And they follow their words with the works. But generally, we go for one or the other. Some of us are better at the words of the kingdom. Others are better at the works of the kingdom. And we are people striving to do them both. And the greater thing is to know that we need each other to do it. The church is together God's way of covering our weaknesses. That's so that our purpose may be complete. And one of the things about Meadgate Church is that, well, we're never short of works. There's such a lot of stuff going on and being done we are so good at the works we are a great light in a time of darkness we feed the poor we care for the lonely we look out for the children and our words well they're good we teach the faith in our preaching and in our fellowship groups we offer great praise to God great praise to God this morning Perhaps, perhaps, though, we could have a little more intent about our being invitational, of inviting people to come and hear those words and see those works. Some of us are really good at it. Some of us have a way to go. Last week, Anita and I, uh, Anita, sorry, asked us in the prayers, do you remember this last week's service, to write down the name of someone we wanted to come to Jesus. Maybe this week you could return to that name and actually pray for them. And maybe even invite them to next week's service. The, the what's it called now, I think Evie said, not a normal service for the people of our community. Invite them to the free lunch afterwards. God bless Nadia for the free lunch. What would it be like if you invited someone to next week's service 
And they said yes. Wouldn't that be great? So the place, the people, and the purpose. That's the plan at the start of Jesus' ministry that ensured that his mission continued to the end. They're the things that give us guidance in our ministry as people who follow Jesus. This is our place. We are the people and our purpose is clear to do the works and to say the words of the kingdom. Amen.